Welcome to Lessons for Leaders. This week I'm talking to you about how to persuade leaders to invest in well-being. So one of the issues I hear a lot is that people will talk about well-being but when it impacts numbers that people struggle to allow the budget and be persuaded to engage in well-being support and a training. So this week we're going to look at what to do to persuade your leaders. We're touching on the three R's that I like to talk to when I work with organisations. Why we need to look at revenue, how to highlight the risks to an organisation and why it's important to include reputation in the persuasive detail too. I hope you get some value from this episode. Welcome to Lessons for Leaders. Each week I bring you lessons, learnings, tips and advice to enable you to lead with ease in business without the stress, doubt and overwhelm. So I help you elevate your leadership performance, be resilient and thrive in life. I'm Emma Langton, your host and straight-talking Yorkshire lass who elevates your leadership, supports well-being with coaching, speaking, training and workshops. One of the challenges organisations frequently tell me about right now is engaging employees with conversations around wellbeing, the difficulties with hybrid working and elevating performance. One of the best ways to do this is with an external facilitator who provides a safe space for learning conversations and honesty. Recently, I've been working with organisations and individual leaders and managers to help them to be able to be more focused, less stressed and have a wide impact on both the professional leadership skills, as well as improving engagement, performance and well-being for themselves and their teams. Throughout April, there's a focus on stress awareness in many organisations and in May, there's a focus on mental health awareness. All of this needs great leadership. Did you know that you can make five times the return on investment with support, advice and consultancy on leadership and well-being? That's the number according to a report by Mind and Deloitte. I've recently helped people have confident conversations about mental well-being so that the managers feel capable and are able to be caring when staff raise concerns about their own mental well-being instead instead of as some of them were saying being scared and running for the hills so do get in touch if you want to know more about how i can help you or your organization get in touch at emma at emmalankton.com if you're not ready to do that yet you can get onto my newsletter the link is in the show notes and information is on my website at emmalankton.com This newsletter goes out around once a month and sends tips, information and statistics on the current organisational trends that's happening right now. So you don't have to dig around for it. And then finally, if you haven't already hit the subscribe button or left a review for me on the podcast, please do go and find the very little button that enables you to do that. Give me your key thoughts and your takeaways and what you value most from the podcast. Or share that on social media and tag me in your posts. 
So welcome back, listeners. Now, as I said in the intro, one of the issues that I hear about a lot is that the leaders at top of organisations will talk about well-being as being a priority until it looks like it impacts the numbers or until they are asked to sign off some budget or some timeframes for implementation of things. However, when I, uh, as I frequently do, when I put out on LinkedIn, what do people want to talk about? Or sometimes I put a shout out for guest topics and things. I got the very lovely Tina McDonald, who is a great leadership coach uh, and trainer and a very good friend of mine. And she has been saying that these conversations often come as well from sales driven and production driven organisations as far as she's concerned, but I hear it happening in other places too, so it's a great topic to cover. So you might have middle and senior managers who want to drive change, but when numbers are impacted, as they are with everything initially, when you're bringing in new things or uh, taking people off the, what I call kind of shop floor, you know, out of the workplace bit, when they're taken out for training or support or knowledge building, and production stops or the workplace kind of stops even just for a little bit then there's a big backlash so it's about people being short-sighted and not seeing the value in this okay so Whilst it's often dismissed or seen as a kind of nice to do, you know, well-being, stress awareness, uh, having a decent well-being plan, mental health awareness, it is really essential and something, obviously I'm going to say it's worthy of budget and resources, of course I am, Um, but it really is and hopefully this episode is going to help you to be able to see why and help you to be able to persuade other people because as I say, it's a common conversation that I have. Now employee well-being as you know was important before COVID but with this global health uh, situation it's meant that workplaces are getting higher levels of uh, mental stress, um, ill health and uh, concerns about well-being. It's easy to say well-being can help reverse that employee burnout and reduce stress, uh, bring down turnover, have a positive impact on absenteeism and presenteeism, but promoting an environment where it's okay to talk about mental well-being and encouraging good well-being, it's more than just the right thing to do. But unfortunately, some of your senior college won't necessarily agree or they'll be focusing on investing in business projects that they think have a clearer return on investment. Return on investment is always important, which is why I help people in what to focus on and how they can do that. Because the good news is that while everyone will see wellbeing plans and training as being business critical, There are strong reasons why it must form a core part of your business strategy. And you know, I often talk to a lot of people who seem to think that they can kind of just grab some information off the internet and muddle it through themselves. And yeah, there is a ton of information out there. Um, But it's about the levels of priority and importance that you put on this. So what you need to do is to find what is 
the focus of your senior people so that we can determine how we do this convincing, persuading or justifying about the time away from the shop floor or the desk and the expense on well-being. People at executive level, and rightly so, want to know that any programme, including wellbeing, is going to support the bottom line of a business and its long-term growth. So what we need to do is what I often say to people is stand in the shoes of your company's focus, the focus of the people on your board, the history. And what do I mean by that? Well, information matters to your leadership team. So if you've got somebody that you need to persuade who is mainly focused on finance, have come through the kind of monetary ranks, then present them with numbers, graphs, charts and projections that align with their way of thinking, with their level of focus. If you've got somebody who's analytical, give them facts that are based on research and science as well as the numbers. If you're talking perhaps to a HRD about their budget and they're already struggling with recruitment and sickness and absenteeism, talk to them about the impact on that. You know, so it might be that you've got a kind of, not even just HR type person, but maybe a people person. Give them the productivity and the performance or stories with a personal impact. And what I say to everybody is create a business case. In my proposals, there's a page at the back with some t- statistics and information that can be used in a business case to support all the information that I provide, whether that's around leadership support and, and enhancement or well-being. So you can do this too to show the value in implementing well-being support and development. So set out priorities and focus on starting with something that will have a big impact. It's like getting the quick wins. But also show that you've done your research and that this is not just a whim or a kind of nice to do. So when we're talking about research, provide national research and science on what works well in your type of organisation. Share examples of what similar companies are doing, which is what I do with my newsletters and in my conversations with everybody. You know, so I might often say, oh, I'm working with a marketing company and I've worked with some law firms and they are looking at. Get internal data from activities such as surveys and focus groups so that you can show how what you are going to implement will address the gaps that you've got. And it also shows that you've done your research and it's not just a whim or a nice to do or a kind of following the trend thing. Within the research and science, also gather numbers. We know that when there's wellbeing plans in place, workers are generally healthier, so sick days are cut in half. Gather external benchmarking data relevant to your company issues, vision or focus. Demonstrate how it will reduce the cost of turnover or recruitment or onboarding costs. Highlight costs of businesses not investing so that you're clearly showing the risk and the return on investment. 
I'm going to cover a bit more about risk and that as in a minute. Look at productivity and performance. When they stop for 10 minutes for that kind of water cooler chat, you know, or that standing briefing, breakfast briefing, or the bacon sani, or the donut, and they maybe start 30 minutes later, watch what happens over the day, or the week, or the month, because it's not just about that 30 minutes of work kind of not getting done, as it might be that senior leadership focus. It's about where are you seeing evidence that you can provide? Are workers being more positive about their workplace? Are they engaging more? Are they being more teamy, more helpful, more friendly? Are they more likely to say good things to each other and less likely then to look for other places to work? You know, so we're looking at numbers in lots of different ways. And the biggest number as well that you need to be looking at is revenue. With more stress, struggle and mental well-being issues in a workplace more than ever before, implementing that support and awareness, it's an investment. So it's that investment in the future that's ensuring that there is increased retention of your people, which saves thousands in performance and recruitment costs. So as I said, highlight the cost of the business not investing. What's the risk? So this is the R, second R that I mentioned in the intro. When we look at risk, look for tribunal cases that represent something similar to the risk in your business. And it sounds awful and a little bit devious, like, ooh, let's wave the scary figures in front of you. But it is about raising awareness of the risk. In 2017, an employee was awarded £52,269 because of a lack of progress of opportunities within her workplace because she had anxiety. In other words, she didn't get promotions because they thought the anxiety was going to be a problem. But finding that cap on promotion was, was deemed unfavourable treatment. And the employee had also asserted that the employer could have made reasonable adjustments to help her carry out the role. If your people, your managers and your leaders don't know what, you know, how to spot the signs of anxiety and then what a reasonable adjustment looks like and how to have those conversations, which is what I do an awful lot with places, then, you know, it might cost you 52 grand. Stress management is an essential skill in the workplace for both managers and employees. And some of the stress-related claims are on the increase and the average amount per claim is about 100k. But employers have a legal responsibility to protect employees from stress in the workplace. So as mean as it sounds, hit them with the scary numbers of what the risk is. Imagine what could happen if stress, mental health and well-being isn't a mainstream topic in your organisation and then that legal case suddenly appears. Looking at the third R, reputation. When you embed well-being plans into your organisation, you generate engagement, you improve support and you ensure that you stand out as an employer of choice for both your current and your future talent. Now then, it's easy for us to be able to say, yes, but these are the benefits. 
But unless you are going to talk to those leaders about the reputation of the company, what do you look like to outsiders? What do we look like to people who are job hunting, to other organisations who are looking across at us, up at us, um, in like-minded workplaces? Will it perhaps give them, put them in line for awards or give them a good standing for awards? But so find, it's still finding the thing about where that reputation is going to have their kind of eyes light up and them sit back and take notice. Because in these times of great resignation where HR teams are struggling in a wide variety of organisations to recruit and to retain talent, Maybe your senior leaders would like to be able to say that you are an employee of choice. People are looking for more than just a salary these days. And well-being isn't about fruit on Friday and stress balls on the desk. But it's how you get that message across. So as I said, understanding where the level of focus is for your senior team and what it is that they want to hear. What do they need to know about getting that return on investment? So are you going to be presenting them with numbers in your business case? Are you going to be looking at research and science? Are you talking about productivity and performance? All of that impacts the first hour, which is revenue. Are you looking at risk of tribunal cases or other risks? Are you looking at reputation and becoming an employer of choice? Whatever it is that you're looking for, that's going to be persuasive, make sure that you put that in your business case. Remember too that up to 45% of employees would look for alternative employment if their employer didn't provide support in relation to mental health. And this is according to Benedon Health's research in 2020. So it's pretty up to date. It's important that as an employer, you understand the impact and do the work to prevent it. Because that return on investment means that you have healthier staff, less absences, reduces presenteeism and retain your staff for longer, as well as a good place to work with a reputation that attracts people. So if you're looking for support for your wellbeing plans, for coaching, for your leaders or training programs for leaders and teams that not only helps them enhance their wellbeing, but also gives the tools and strategies to ensure senior buy-in from the outset, then get in touch with me. Otherwise, I really hope that this has been helpful. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now.